Thank you for downloading this podcast from Pardes, North America. This Rosh Hashanah edition of the Pardes Parsha podcast is sponsored by Ricky and David Bernstein in memory of Ricky's parents, Beatrice and Murray Kirschblatt, survivors of Auschwitz and Buchenwald. This episode of the Parsha podcast features rabbis Leon Morris and Mish Hammerkasoya. For the latest episode of the Parsha podcast, please visit elmod.pardes.org. And now, here is Rabbi Leon Mars and Rabbi Dr. Mish Hammer Kasoy. Rabbi Leon Morris, President and CEO of Mahom Pardes. Do you know what's coming up? Rabbi Mish Hammer Kasoy, director of our year program. I think everybody knows what's coming up. Rosh Hashanah. Oh my gosh, that's exactly what I heard this morning when I walked out of school, out of out to go to school this morning, and I hear the school bell. It's going. I love the seasonal nature of the school that's across Pierre Kenig Street from us. We we need a bell like that. Yeah, we could do something. I'm going to speak to the director. Please do. But it's got me thinking about beginnings. It's the beginning. Mm. It's also really, we've just, we're coming up at the end of, we just finished our first week of school, even though by the time they listen to this, it'll be another week in. Um, And beginnings and endings and and the context of stories, because uh, I went to look at the Akedat Yitzchak, the binding of Isaac, which we'll be reading on the second day of Rosh Hashanah. And usually I think about that story from the perspective of Parshat Vayera, uh, when it's in in Bereshit, in the book of Genesis. And right, it's usually around uh, October or November. That's right, totally. And there it's part of a, like a long set of stories, and it starts off with Avraham having a with God saying, should I, should I um, hide from, from Abraham what I'm going to do? And he gets and he exposes to him what's coming out, um, uh, that he wants to destroy Stom Vamorah. And we know that Avraham goes into this disagreement, you know, arguing with God, surely if there's 50 righteous people, if they're and getting down to if there's 10 righteous people. And that's one bookend of the Parsha. And then the next bookend the on the other end is the Akedat Yitzchak and when you put those two stories together you have like a spiritual quandary if Mm. I could say of you know here's Abraham's ability to protest to God to save the wicked rotten people of Stom and he's really going to bat with God which is crazy and unbelievable and so inspiring and then to put that at the end where god that same god says take your and your beloved single son and offer him up and that's what the, the story there is about how do you resolve the tension between submission and 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 arguing between ethical, the ethical imperative and the ultimate unethical mitzvah and those two Avrahams and those two gods and how do they come together. And that's how I usually think about the Akedah. Um, and this year I came to it 
with thinking about it with Rosh Hashanah. And then there's two stories that we're telling next to each other. Um, day one, Hashem pakadet sarak asher mar v'yas Hashem l'sarak asher diber. That God, the, the moral of the first day is that God remembers Sarah and gives her a child like he's promised. And Rosh Hashanah thinks about the, the Gemara, proposes that as one of the verses we should say in the Zichronot blessings, because that's what we want God to remember. God, remember us and give us, a, uh, and, and give us children and take care of us. And that's also what happens with Chana in the Haftarah. And so the moral of the first day is if you just daven hard enough, God will save us. And God remembers us, and God loves us, and God cares for us, and that's day one of Rosh Hashanah. And then day two comes, and it turns that first story totally on its head by the ne- very next thing. Right after God redeems us with that kid, God says, offer him up as a burnt offering. And it's such a... Wow, two different versions of Yom Hadin, you know, of God's judgment. It could be God's judgment for the, for the delightful saving, and it could be God's judgment for the most horrible, scary, terrifying thing that could ever happen to you. And I feel like that's what's going on. And I really, like, it reminded me, and it all depends on how you read it in context, do you hear what I'm saying? It's like the story, what, what's the story about? What's the beginning of the story? What's the end of the story? We're having, you might have heard that this is our, uh, that Pardes is celebrating 50 years. Um, and we're therefore celebrating storytelling as our theme for the year with a really, really big Pardes learning seminar um, in the summer. But already during the year, we're, um, we're thinking about storytelling. And so I find myself thinking about the beginnings of the, the, how the story is totally altered by its beginning and by its ending. Mm -hmm. Thinking about uh, the way in which we would naturally gravitate to be day one people, day Mm. one Jews, uh, and not day two Jews. That's really scary. This binding of Isaac and this sense of obedience or uh, surrender to God. Uh, and yet, I think that there's something about uh, in the midst of all of its complexity and all of the ambivalent feelings that it uh, elicits in us, there's something incredibly powerful about the connection between Rosh Hashanah itself and that reading of day two of the Binding of Isaac, Akedat Yitzchak. Um, the Midrash, of course, uh, has a heyday with this incredibly complicated and complex story. No. Yes. And um, there's, a, uh, there's a book by Shalom Spiegel called The Last Trial that really first introduced me to this, to, to some of the more unusual strains of the Midrash about the Akedah uh, when I read his book, uh, 30 years ago. And uh, one strain of the Midrash, meaning there are a whole lot of Midrashim that connect the Akedah to the blessing 
Baruch Hashem HaMetim. Blessed are you, God, who revives the dead. The third oh. blessing, uh, I'm sorry, the second blessing of the uh, of the Amidah. Oh my gosh. And, uh, the, the Avot is Avraham and the... Right, Avraham is uh, is Magain Avraham, so that one's a little bit obvious. The God is the shield of Abraham, that's blessing one. The second blessing, Mechayehemitim, bless of Isaac. And Baruch, uh, Baruch Atah Hashem HaEl HaKadosh is, is Yaakov, is Jacob, who wakes up and says, you know, God is in this place and I did not know it. Wow. But the kind of jarring part of that strain of Midrashim is, okay, so what does it mean that Isaac is connected to that second bracha, to Baruch Atah Hashem Mechayehemitim? And... Um, there are uh, what Shalom Spiegel calls midrashim that are within the natural bounds of scripture, by mm-hmm. which he meant it's not a huge stretch from the story itself, to midrashim that offer uh, much more radical interpretations. And, um, you know, the kind of midrash that's sort of the more natural within the natural balance of scripture, is uh, one that's found in Sefer HaEshkol, where Avraham places Yitzchak on the altar, and then Avraham hears the voice of the angel calling him, don't lay your hand upon the lad, al tishlach yadcha el ha-na'ar, al ta'as lo mu'uma, and don't do anything to him. And the Midrash says that at that moment, Isaac stands up, having been saved by the angel's voice wow. and give thanks to God, gives thanks to God immediately and says, Baruch atah Hashem mechayehem blessed are you God who revives the dead. He had been a dead man walking and now he's all of a sudden got a second lease on life. Yes, uh, except here in the Midrash, this is why I think Shalom Spiegel says it's within the natural bounds of scripture. The Midrash is saying he almost died and that, is how we read the story. But there are also, and I find myself drawn to them for reasons that we'll we'll talk about, there are more extreme, more imaginative, more fanciful interpretations uh, that are kind of like almost Freudian. Uh, You know, I realize how, uh, how, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Anachronistic. Anachronistic. <laughs> how anachronistic that is, uh, 1,500 years before Freud. But one of these midrashim is the midrash Lekach Tov, which suggests that Isaac was so gripped by fear at that moment that his soul flew out of them, out of him, and that God restored his life by means of dewdrops uh, that resurrected the dead. Wow, so and, he literally uh, died. He literally died. Uh, but then there are Midrashim that get even uh, even scarier. And uh, there are Midrashim that uh, refer to... Uh, I'll, I'll just cite one from the Shibole uh, Leket. Uh, here's the Midrash. When Yitzchak Avinu, our father Isaac, was bound to the altar he was reduced to ashes Mm. and his sacrificial dust was cast onto Mount Moriah and God blessed him and immediately brought upon him dew 
which is right when we pray for dew, it 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 revives the plant life, mm-hmm. and this dew from God revived Isaac, and uh, and that's why the ministering angels at that moment say, rather than Isaac, Baruch Hashem Blessed are you who revives the dead. So. Um, so we move from Midrashim that say this is Isaac's prayer to Midrashim that say uh, this is a prayer that the angels themselves recite. And the radical addition here of the phrase when Isaac was reduced to ashes is really, uh, I think, meant to be terrifying. And... Um, I love to be terrified by this in that imaginative <laughs> reading. I don't want it to be the only reading, but I want it to be one of the multivocal, one of the the many readings going through my mind when I hear this on Rosh Hashanah. Uh, because Rosh Hashanah is ultimately about death and resurrection. It's about having an opportunity to live our lives again. It's about being granted a second lease on life. And you drum that message in, in the most uh, dramatic, imaginative way possible. And that's what I think the Midrash is responding to. It's like the Midrash is telling us, um, is asking us, if you had your life to live all over again, how would you live differently? So the very act of of standing in in judgment before God and coming out clean is like you thought you were going to die and now you get to live? Is that what you're trying to say? I think that's part of it. And I think there are other theological possibilities, which is to say, you know, this period that Rosh Hashanah will usher in, the Aserigim Chuva, the 10 days of, of repentance, of return, is saying, uh, we have our opportunity here. We have a special opportunity to break with our past and to live differently and to really resolve at least in one or two or three areas of our lives that we can change, that people can change. And uh, that in a certain way is living anew. It's being reborn. And, and I think that this reading, as radical as these midrashim may sound uh, to us and to, uh, to those joining us uh, to listen on the podcast, I think had Christianity not uh, kind of monopolized the, <laughs> uh, the, the message of death and resurrection, this would have been the normative reading for Jews on Rosh Hashanah, that we're reading the binding of Isaac on day two because it is a story of death and resurrection, because Rosh Hashanah is a story of death and resurrection. That we are as if dying every year on Rosh Hashanah, being born, as the Rambam says, like I'm mm. not that guy at all, I'm somebody altogether new. Is that what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, wow. I... Gosh, I never thought of it that way in truth. You know, like I, I thought about the idea of, I know for myself, we had a brush with cancer 10 years ago and that, and it was scary. It was the sense of like, oh my gosh, we could die. And it caused us to really live every life 
every day differently with this, like, I've got a lease on life. I, I want to make every day meaningful. And, uh, and so I could see Rosh Hashanah as, as doing that mm. also, as, like, giving me this chance to, again, beginnings and endings, and we start to think about the stories, where do things begin and where do things end? Um, I'm thinking about Ernest Becker's uh, The Denial of Death, you know, mm. one of the, I think, most important books of uh, the late 20th century. Uh, you know, we shape our whole lives in denial of death, and there's something so useful, so powerful, and so transformative to uh, walk around with an increased understanding that we are going to die and that our time is limited, and that's part of... Uh, that's part of Rosh Hashanah as well. Wow. Oh, gosh. I'm uh, thinking now about um, going back to my initial thinking about uh, God. Who's the God that gives, that kills us and starts us over on Rosh Hashanah? And the way, if I would have picked one thing for my previous reading with, of when it was with Vayera, it would be Heschel. He, Heschel understands that the point of the encounter between Abraham and Hashem around Stone Vamorah is to, for Abraham to, there, Avraham asks, I think it's a real question, Will the, the, the judge of the entire world, surely he's going to be righteous. Uh, God, show me that you're righteous. Don't kill the city of stone for 50 righteous people. And then he gets to a point of, even if there's 10 righteous people, I won't kill. Don't, don't kill the city. That Don't kill the whole city because of 10 righteous people. That's not about justice that's about mercy and what you see there god's willingness to be merciful on a city for even 10 righteous people shows gives abraham a sort of window into god's personality that god is on the one hand a god of ethos um, but also that is to say deeply ethical but also a god of pathos that god can't bear to see right god does not isn't happy to see the wicked die, but rather that he should repent, that they should repent and live on. And, and I think that that came, that sits for, at least as Heschel understands it, when the, he experiences the Akedah late, a few prakim later, he, um, he sees it through the vision of God's pathos. He says to himself in Heschel's words, in David HaMelech's words, I don't understand where God is because there's Anan Verafel Svivav. There's a, uh, I don't know exactly what he's getting at because there's a cloud all around his throne and I can't understand what he's getting at. But I know at his core, God is all about justice. And therefore, Abraham is able to experience the Akedah from the place of both ethos and pathos. God, God's asking me to do this really terrible thing, but I love God and God loves me, and so it must be okay. At mm. the core, there's got to be some justice in there. What, what I love about what you're saying is, you know, this, this benefit of dipping back into the 
original context of the Akedah back in in the Torah reading cycle that we were reading in, in Vayera and, um, and bringing into the Akedah reading of Rosh Hashanah an element of mercy, an element of caring, an element of pathos, that it's not... It's not blind obedience that when you go back to Vayera and you read it in the context of Sodom and Gomorrah and that negotiations with God, that negotiation with God, that you're you're bringing back this sense that uh, rather than blind obedience, it's really trust that God is a God of mercy, and if God is asking this of me. Uh, I'm going to act both I'm gonna I'm gonna follow what God is asking me to do but I'm gonna do so with that trust in God's sense of uh, caring and love oh my gosh can you give me some of that because that is really mm. a spiritual posture that I am constantly striving for uh, and and the pandemic has been really important in driving that home for me like okay we've got to just channel that trust and mm. believe that God, to feel God's love, even when we can't understand what's going on in yeah. this world. Yeah. And, and I think there is, I'm glad you mentioned the pandemic, because I think on some level, it challenged us to uh, get our heads and hearts more around our limitations and what is beyond us. Uh, beyond our ability. It humbled us in certain ways. Um, I'm not suggesting that this is why it happened, but it became an opportunity to practice some degree of surrender. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we moderns aren't willing to surrender completely, but to exercise that a little bit, uh, the awareness of how limited we are over things in the world and over our own lives is, it's not the complete picture, but it's, it's, it feels like an important ingredient in our spiritual lives. And it comes back to this question of beginnings and endings, because if you end the story with total paralysis then, mm. and I don't know what's going on, that, that's not a great ending, but if you use that to channel as a way to live every life to the fullest and feel your resurrection each day, so mm. that's a beautiful ending. Mm. Um, I wanted to, can I bring in one more thing from yeah, the Yeah, please. I, you know, I hit, oh, maybe 15 years ago, I went for the first time to London and I went to the Crown Jewels and it was like a total epiphany for me to understand Malchuyot, mm. the verses of so sovereignty in a new way to see all the pageantry and the power and the awe-inspiring of why we've chosen this kingship, sovereignty, kingship as a primary mission of Rosh Hashanah. Bum, ba -da, bum, ba -da -dum, bum, ba here comes the king. You know, that's what the chauffeur blast is. It's like yeah, yeah. everybody feel the God, feel the God, get scared. Um, and, and I thought about it again this week mm. in relationship mm. to Heschel specifically. 
because with with Queen Elizabeth's death. Yeah, with Queen Elizabeth's death, because listening to listening to the news about her and understanding that one of the things she was all of that, you know, awesomeness of 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 sovereignty that was really awe-inspiring but she also had that piece of pathos Mm. she was the the mother queen that uh that cared about her people and was really serving them Mm. and i i think that's what heschel's trying to evoke for us also in in his interpretation of god as a number as a god of pathos as well as sovereignty. Um, and I felt like she, wow, she was that, and maybe mm. bringing that down for us in ways that we couldn't have uh, imagined or I couldn't, weren't really accessible to me. And, and that's maybe what people are largely tapping into with kind of the, the magic of uh, royalty in, in our day and in a democratic context. That's, I think, uh, I, I think you're, you're you're getting at something very uh, very profound about the human desire for this kind of uh, uh, this to to be ruled by a uh, both kind of strength and the symbolism of strength, but also of of love and of uh, of of uh, compassion and mercy. So I want to bless all of our listeners uh, with uh, a new year in which we will all be able to say Baruch Atah Hashem Mechayeh that uh, our lives will be different in the coming year, will be richer, will be more fulfilling, that we'll be able to break with old habits and uh, at least some of them and, and live our lives uh, differently and better and more fully. Wow. And may I add to that beautiful sentiment, a notion of the ability to write new endings to our stories, Mm. of the ability to experience our surrender to God from the perspective of pathos, and even to be able to channel that divine pathos into an expansive way of relating to the, the, everyone in our lives. Mm. Amen. Leon, so may it be. Thank you again for downloading this podcast, a production of Pardes North America. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Spotify for the latest episodes of the Pardes Parsha podcast.